Welcome back. Thanks, as always, for joining the Trojan Talk podcast and giving us a listen. I'm Ryan Young, and if you heard our podcast last week, this is very similar in that we have a stacked podcast today. We have two huge guests, two long interviews, two really engaging, entertaining interviews. And so, again, I'm not going to do a lot of talking at the top of the podcast because I want to get straight to the good stuff. And what is that good stuff? Well, let me tell you. We have... First on the podcast, USC Senior Associate Athletic Director, Brandon Sosna, who is Athletic Director Mike Bones' chief of staff. He's Bones' right-hand man. He kind of has his hands in all facets of the USC athletics operation and therefore has a lot of perspective to offer. And this was just scratching the surface. We talked for more than 40 minutes in this podcast before he had to go to his next meeting and we both kind of realized that we left a lot of meat on the bone here. So we're going to call this part one of the Brandon Sosna interview, meaning that there will definitely be a part two. And I've now put it out there, so he has to follow through. But no, he's down to do it again, and we'll get into other stuff next time. But we covered a lot of ground, and I wanted you guys to hear directly from him to get a better sense for for who is this guy who's been really influential behind the scenes these last few months in the reshaping of USC's football program and spearheading a lot of the efforts to boost the recruiting staff, to boost the on-field support staff to kind of diagnose and address some things that were lacking in the football program. He's been a very influential figure working with Mike Bone to make these pretty significant changes that we've already seen in just their first handful of months on the job. And, And for the first stretch of that, he wasn't really doing interviews. He wasn't out there. He was the man behind the scenes. So I just wanted you guys to hear from him and get a better sense for who was this key role player in the future, the president of USC Athletics. We cover a range of topics. Obviously, we get into the majorly topical stuff about the 2020 college football season. What is the latest buzz? What is the optimism that the season will be played in full? We get into all that. A really fun conversation was about USC football scheduling strategy. Coming on the heels of the announcement this week that USC and Ole Miss have a home-and-home home contract now for 2025 and 2026. I talked to Brandon about what what is USC's football scheduling strategy going forward. It seems to have pivoted a couple times here in the last couple years, and this administration obviously undid some things that they inherited, like the first-ever FCS game that was going to be played in the future and is now no longer on the schedule with UC Davis. And... I think the Ole Miss contract shows what they want to do with things moving forward. There's certainly been a debate about whether USC needs to be playing any more tough non-conference games when they already have the full Pac-12 schedule. They have Notre Dame every year. But I thought Brandon made a really interesting point as to why that strategy may indeed make more sense now. So we get into that and a whole bunch of stuff. And at the end, we had our subscribers at Trojan Talk submit some questions, and we got to a handful of them. Unfortunately, and this is my fault, I, I got a little long-winded in my questions leading up to that, and I had to get Brandon out to a meeting. So we got through a handful of the fan questions, but again, this is only part one of uh, the Brandon Sosna podcast. We'll have another one, and I'll go a little heavier on the subscriber questions and, and pick up a few that were left over from this time and also let our subscribers ask new questions next time. That alone would make for a great podcast, except that is not the whole podcast. After that, we have USC sophomore cornerback Chris Steele. 
And if you've not heard Chris Steele do interviews or or talk on this platform, he's really interesting. Like he doesn't really hold back anything. He gives really interesting perspective and answers and it's not you're not going to get cliches or some heavily filtered thought he kind of tells you what he thinks and what he feels and what he sees and he had some interesting comments about what he thought was lacking last year for the USC defense in terms of chemistry he talks a lot about his connection with new cornerbacks coach Dante Williams and you know you've probably heard him or seen comments from him about Dante over the last month or so he's been asked about it a bunch but we got into kind of the origin and the roots of his of their relationship and how it started early on in recruiting and how there were a couple times when he thought he was going to be connecting with Dante at Oregon and it didn't happen both times and yet just kind of kismetly it all comes together here at USC where they both end up Trojans in the end I thought it was a really interesting conversation with Chris and also a pretty blunt self-assessment from him about his first season and what he expects of himself going forward. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. And I encourage you to listen to the end because it, it there's great nuggets throughout that I don't want you to miss. So try and catch the full podcast and the full interview with Chris Steele at the end. And that is a full show. So just real quickly at the top, we still have the free trial going. I don't know how much longer it's going to go. It's set to expire at the end of this month, but it lasts until September 5th. So you, if you sign up between now and the end of May, you get that free trial through September 5th. So I want you to take advantage of it while you can. If you are not subscribed to Trojansports.com, we couldn't make it any easier. It is truly a free trial. There's no hidden language. There's no tricks. There's no games. Sign up. Use promo code USC2020. USC 2020. It's been a really great month for the site. We picked up a lot of new people based on some of our exclusive content. We had a, the first and only interview that Brew McCoy has given since coming back to USC. So the only interview from Brew McCoy in more than a year. And he was really, really candid and interesting about reflecting on this tough last year and his mindset for a 2020 breakout. We had Keaton Slovis on the podcast last week, the star USC quarterback. We've had a lot of exclusive content on here, and people are taking those and catching on and joining us. So follow their lead and be a part, and you can do it with a free trial. And with that, let's get right to the podcast. All right, as teased on the message board at Trojan Talk, we are very excited for our first guest on the podcast today, USC Senior Associate Athletic Director, Mike Bones, Chief of Staff, Brandon Sosna. He was Mike Bone's first hire. He's kind of been the man behind the scenes to this point, the, the mystery man of USC athletics until the veil was pulled back last week in a massive feature by The Athletic telling Brandon's story. And, and now the floodgates are open and he's finally able to join us. Good to have you, Brandon. How's it going? Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on your podcast. I often listen to it because as someone new to USC, I actually learn a lot from it. So now that the uh, the media doesn't have as much to cover with the state of the sports landscape, uh, they want to talk to me, which is hilarious, but also fun. Desperate times, Brandon. I get it. <laughs> no, I, I've been wanting to get you on for a while, and it's finally the right time. And I think the fans are going to really enjoy hearing your perspective on things because, like Mike Bone, you come into USC with a fresh look, a fresh perspective. Having been at Cincinnati, you were with the Cleveland Browns for a little bit, and I think that's what this program needed was some fresh eyes coming in, looking at things differently. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into a variety of topics. We're going to 
ask some questions that our subscribers left on the message board. But first, obviously, we have to get right to the main story in everyone's mind, the 2020 football season. I know that you don't have the answers. No one has the answers. But what's this process been like at your level, Mike's level, ever-evolving, new information every day? Do you get any more clarity from week to week, or is it really just kind of the same as, as it was a month ago? Yeah, I think you said it exactly right. It's rapidly evolving, and we're constantly receiving new information and new direction. I think the the frustrating part right now, Ryan, to be honest with you, is that there's still a lot more that we don't know than we do know. Um, and certainly from, from our perspective, everything that we're going to do and the key principle of all of our decision-making is going to be about supporting our student-athletes and protecting the health and safety of, of our student-athletes. So I think our fans would take great comfort in knowing the far-reaching tentacles of our influence at all levels as we've gone through this process. We're actively engaged with the Pac-12. We're involved at the NCAA level, certainly at the university level as they're making plans for the fall. We're participating in those processes and, and as well in, in government relations and coordinating with the governor's office. In, in addition to L.A. County, the city, and really our, our peers in the sports marketplace in Los Angeles. So I think our information is great. Our alignment is great. We're going to continue to adapt as things evolve. We're not in a position to give definitive answers yet. Certainly as soon as we have them, we'll communicate those out. But I will say this, it feels like we've started to turn a corner and every day there's better news. Obviously, Governor Newsom's announcement this week about professional sports being able to resume without fans in the state of California in June was extremely positive and I think an indication of hopefully what's to come as we continue to fight this virus. Yeah, I think that's really what people want more than anything right now is just some optimism and some hope. I imagine you all have tossed around so many different contingency plans and hypotheticals and the main fear of fans, and you mentioned Governor Newsom's comments were, were very encouraging. Before that, there was a fear that California might be opening behind the rest of the country and might stall things. Was there ever a talk about maybe playing games elsewhere just to work around that if that was the case? I'll say this, Ryan. We will. We have considered every viable option. Uh, football and all of our other sports are central to our enterprise, obviously important financially, existential to the college athletics model. So I would say with, with respect to our approach to everything and really a core of, of Mike Bone's decision-making philosophy is that we're always going to assess every single option and put everything on the table. Uh, I think at the same time, we understand the, the need for patience. I think we're all searching for indicators that we're winning this fight. And as I said, each day brings more good news in that regard. But I think it's important for everyone involved to realize that everyone in this is doing the best that they can and doing what they believe is right for the public. It's obviously a very difficult and challenging time. I mean, truly, it's a tragedy. We're, we're approaching 100,000 deaths yeah. from this pandemic in just a few months in the United States. So I don't know what it's like to lead the country through a global pandemic, but I do sympathize with government and university decision makers in a few ways. You know, first, 
every decision we make in sports is so heavily scrutinized and judged by everyone with a platform to express an opinion, which frankly is also what I think makes sports so popular and special. So I identify with that challenge of being under the microscope for governors and politicians and university presidents. I also relate to the thinking that, you know, first and foremost, we have to protect the health and safety of the constituents that we all represent, which is for us student athletes, but for politicians and elected officials, that's the people of their districts and states. And like them, we want to make decisions that protect our student athletes. So from, from my perspective, you know, I have the utmost respect for the difficulty of making unprecedented decisions in unprecedented times, which is why we're being so patient and taking the direction that we are from our health officials in our state. Because I think we all have to understand that, you know, as we discussed, it's a rapidly evolving situation. And our decision makers deserve the opportunity to change course as they receive new information, like the announcement about playing professional sports in California. Because to me, that's what great leaders do, Ryan. They don't stand stubbornly behind decisions that were made previously. They learn, adjust, adapt, and make better decisions as we move forward. So, yeah, we'll make mistakes, but we'll learn from them, and we'll continue working toward the shared goal of beating this virus and getting our world back to normal. And for us, that means that means playing, playing football in the fall. And at this point, there isn't anybody having conversations about doing anything other than that. But like I said, we'll adapt as information comes our way. Well said. Uh, I, I guess maybe the, the biggest question now that pertain to all that is if the university has to have students back on campus for the football team to be able to come back and, and work out. It, I know that's something you probably talk about all the time. Is there any clarity on that matter? I think those are all the questions that are being asked. Our university has engaged us from start to finish with their planning and announced publicly the, the project restart plan. We're actively involved in every step of that process. So I think there's a, a lot that's been written about hybrid models and understanding that there are some students who, to do what they were brought to the university to do, require on-campus instruction and participation. So I think all of those things will continue to be evaluated, and I, I believe that in the next several weeks we'll really have some additional clarity as to what the specific mechanics of a return to campus operations might look like. But we're going to support our university, and we believe in our university and our leadership. Dr. Folt has been an unbelievable supporter of, of athletics and has been instrumental over the last several months in a lot of the success that we've had. And we're in, we're in perfect alignment with them. And I, we're, we're pleased with the progress that we're making on that front. Well, that's, that's really all that can be said right now is that there's optimism and there's progress. So that's, that's good. Uh, meanwhile, the business of college football never stops. It hasn't stopped during this. And there was big news this week. USC announces a home-and-home contract with Ole Miss for the 2025 and 2026 seasons. Really intriguing for fans to get a Pac-12 SEC showdown. I want to get into this specific matchup with you, but just in terms of general scheduling strategy, what is Mike Bone's approach? What is your input? What is the strategy moving forward for USC football scheduling? It's a great question, and I'm glad it's being asked, and it's it's fun to talk about because I think the non-conference scheduling in football is just one of the more unique but also exciting components of the work that we do. I think as much as anything else, Ryan, 
the Ole Miss series is a reflection of the decision-making framework that Mike and I believe in, which is simply to not constrain our thinking. We're going to evaluate every opportunity individually and on its own merits. Uh, I wish everything could be a science because, uh, you know, foundationally, I I do believe in in data-driven decisions, but there's an art form to scheduling, too. And certainly there's data to support the advantage of the seven home game schedule in the current climate, but it is a delicate balance. Certainly the competitiveness aspects of scheduling are a critical priority, but, you know, so, too, are the desires of our fans. We want to reward their support and loyalty with games at the Coliseum that energize them. Uh, they're grinding through years and years of uh, supporting our program with, with season tickets and donations, and we want to reward them for that. And I think also we want to bring value to our conference and our media rights partners in our non-conference games. So we actually didn't realize until we got into the discussion with Ole Miss that we hadn't hosted an SEC opponent at the Coliseum since 2005. And I think if we can control it, based on the landscape, our fans deserve that. And furthermore, I I think, Ryan, when you talk about the strategy of scheduling with respect to the seven-game home schedule advantage, as we look to a future that possibly includes an expanded college football playoff and we move into an environment where each Power Five champion earns an automatic bid, it might actually be beneficial to play a more competitive non-conference schedule. There's a risk-reward calculation there that, frankly, it will take years to study from the time that a playoff expansion occurs if that happens but you know intuitively our thinking is that regardless of how you perform a non-conference play that if you can make the playoff by winning the league you might be more inclined to play big time non-conference games that your fans will love and your teams will love and you'll be able to recruit to because if you win those games it'll be a significant boost to your potential at-large playoff bid hopes but at the same time if you don't win you can still get to the playoffs through the conference. So, you know, we're trying to make decisions that balance all of those different facets of, of the scheduling strategy, but we're also trying to be mindful of where we think the future of the college athletics game is going with respect to an impossible expanded college football playoff, and we want to be able to take advantage of that if, that, if the time comes. That's a really interesting point. I'm glad you made it. It more or less answers my next question I was going to ask you. Presently, the, the risk-reward balance is that Every loss is devastating in college football, and you're already playing nine conference games. You're playing Notre Dame. Right now, USC doesn't need to play another tough game like we saw last year with the BYU game. Not that it mattered by the end of the season, but that was a game that people circled and said, why are we playing at BYU? But as you mentioned, if the college playoff expands and winning the conference becomes paramount, that makes total sense. That's it's really good insight. Let's get into the specific contract here with Ole Miss. How did they become – the, the fit for, for those spots in 25 and 26? Well, as you know, and paying attention to this so closely as, as your subscribers, scheduling in football is done years and years and years in advance. I mean, there, there, were, there were games that we were talking about when we were at Cincinnati still that were late in the 2030s, which <laughs> is sort of hard to believe because, you know, who knows what the, the landscape will even look like at that time. But when Mike and I arrived and uh, it wasn't an, an initial priority. I think the UC Davis game was an initial priority just based on the fact that we walked in the door and we were hit over the head with it, which I think is great because it helped inform some of our decision-making because I can promise you that I did not come to USC knowing that we were one of three programs that had never played an FCS program, but I found out very quickly because I heard about it from a lot of people. So that was our initial football scheduling priority. And, and once we got through the, the, the process of getting entrenched at USC a little bit, transitioning in. Certainly it's been disrupted since then, but really in the coronavirus 
pause, we were able to take some time and reflect on our football schedule. And the reality was we're not as far along as we would like to be at this point with respect to our schedules in 2024 and beyond, of which none are complete at this time. And as you get four, four years away, that's usually when, you know, you certainly want to have your schedule wrapped up by then. So we sought out some different opportunities to complete our schedule. We, we needed two games in 2025, so that became a, uh, an initial priority in that process. And we're able to discover that Ole Miss was also looking for a game and reached out to them. And I'm telling you, I have never in my career had a football contract come together as quickly as that one did, which wow. is, I think, a testament to the leadership of Mike and also of Ole Miss AD Keith Carter to buy in and get it, get it done and make it happen. It was really fun to be part of. I know you're a big data-driven guy, and I'm not. This isn't exactly high-level data, but I, in this process, do you just look across the future football schedules and make a list of everyone who doesn't have games, and just start working down that list, or how exactly do you go about pinpointing some targets? We have a software platform that we use. That's I think used by almost every uh, FBS program in the country at this point, where every schedule is loaded in, and you're able to pull some reports based on who's available, who's looking for games. You can designate that, hey, we're looking for a game in these years so that you show up. It'll also have an algorithm that will just show you which teams still have availabilities. I think sometimes it's misunderstood in the public because games are not often announced right away. So when you look at certain sites that are available to the public, it looks like there are so many options, when in reality, they already probably have an FCS opponent lined up or uh, have something in the works. So really what it came down to in this particular instance is when we looked at, at the years that we needed games and wh- who was available from a home-and-home home standpoint, uh, Ole Miss was far and away the, the best and most intriguing option, a game that we feel like makes sense for us from a competitive standpoint. We'll have a certain degree of hype to it given the, <laughs> the, the personalities involved was not lost on us, which I think is just embracing the fun aspects of college football, um, but also one that we think makes sense for uh, our fans and bringing an SEC opponent back to the Coliseum. Man, you, you keep beating me to my next question each time. Obviously, the fans jump to the Lane Kiffin connection, and you know who knows who's coaching who that far down the road. But was that an appealing factor? Was that a, a, a factor at all, or was it just a, a fun coincidence after the fact? It was a fun coincidence after the fact. We wouldn't schedule an important series that way, but it certainly adds to the element of intrigue associated with it, and I think was part of what made the response on Monday so fun to watch from yeah. our fan base. Indeed. Well, just, just the last note on the scheduling, it's interesting to hear that you guys have some work to do and you're a little behind the pace you thought it might be on. Does that mean that we might get more announcements like this coming down the pike soon or what's, what's the timeline? Yeah, we're actively working on a number of different options. Uh, we're, we're trying to be really creative with some unique ones that are, are some things that maybe we haven't been able to do in the past or are an extension of some of the fun things that we've done in the past. So uh, you never know how these things will come together. We got spoiled with Ole Miss because they were such great partners in making it happen. But you know, not often does it work that way. So it, we're, we're working on it every day. I've got, we've got a lot of, of different options that we're working on and certainly hope that we can get some of them done because I think a few of them will be of interest. Good stuff. Well, I want to segue. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that, that you had kind of been the man behind the scenes for your first few months here. And you were seen but, but not heard from. And then Antonio Morales of The Athletic dropped a, a wonderful feature story 
a few days ago, kind of a, just about your ambition, your rise, and I I don't know if all fans know, but but you're you're 27 years old. You're you're really young in the game, and you got into the game young. Mike Bone uh, kind of spotted your potential early and gave you a a big opportunity, and it's gone from there. How has your relationship with Mike evolved since that point, and and what what's the thing that has connected you the most to him to the point where when he comes here, you you choose to follow him to USC? Yeah, Mike is really special, and there are not many athletic directors or executives in sports who uh, attain the level and caliber of position that he has, but also maintain such a level of humility. There's no ego with Mike. I mean, you talk about uh, the, the expression, someone who pulls their shirt off their back for someone else. I've actually watched him do that literally multiple times in the six years that we've worked together and known each other. There was a time, Ryan, that a student at Cincinnati wanted to interview him for a paper he was doing, and the student received three dates from Mike's assistant, three dates and times from Mike's assistant where he would be available to do this interview, and the student actually responded to say that none of those worked. Like, if I were in college and I were meeting with the athletic director, I'd find a way to make one of those three times work. You know what I mean? I still operate that way. (laughs) Yeah, right? Exactly. So, you know, this guy was like, hey, none of those work for me. So rather than Mike saying, all right, whatever, it's not going to happen, he got the student's class schedule, met him outside of one of his classes, and walked with him to his next class so that he could interview him on the way, which to me is just a small example of just the – the availability and the accessibility and the type of person Mike is. I think what what I appreciated most about the, the profile that Antonio did, and honestly I'm very flattered that he and others felt that it was a story worth telling, is I've heard over the last few days from so many young people in the college athletics industry, and I think the reality is that we're in a higher education, very risk-averse, bureaucratic, rigid model, and it's very much a one step at a time, climb the ladder kind of industry, when in reality there are young people all throughout the business who are more talented and more capable uh, of doing a lot more, and the difference between me and them is that they didn't have a Mike Bone in their life. So I'm really grateful for Mike. He has been an incredible mentor, a great friend, really supportive, but at the end of the day, more than anything else, He's given me an opportunity and empowered me to make an impact. And uh, I certainly know that I wouldn't be where I am without him, which is why I'm so loyal to him and why when he got this opportunity, uh, I didn't hesitate to follow him here, not only because it's USC, but because of the, the strength of the relationship that we have. And I know that that's as much as I like to claim responsibility for all of my successes, I think anybody who has success in the sports world, uh, certainly you have to add value and be talented and, and deliver results. But there's a there's an element of luck to it for all of us, and I'm certainly on the extreme end of that, that spectrum. I thought it was one of the most interesting parts of Antonio's story was Mike making a tough decision in – giving you a prominent position when there's older people in the department and knowing that that would be perceived different in different ways and it might be controversial in some way, but just saying this is the right guy for the job, doesn't matter how old he is. I would encourage anyone listening to, to read the whole story. We don't normally spend so much time tallying the competition, but it was a great story in The Athletic by Antonio, and there's other good anecdotes in there. Since you shared a really cool Mike Bone story with us, I, let me just ask you generally, is, is there another story that comes to mind when – 
people ask you about Mike and just say what kind of a guy he is and or what kind of an AD he is. Is, is there another story you love to tell about him? There are too many stories to tell about him, Ryan. I figured. I can't. I can't pick one. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll uh, I'll come back at you over time and, and pick away at some of that, that uh, trove of uh, tales. But you got it. what was it always just assumed that if he left, that you were going to follow to his next spot, or was that a decision that you had to sit down and evaluate and make? I would say it's just a general approach. Um, I will. I'll evaluate any opportunity as it comes up. And that was a, a different type of calculation because you have to understand I'm the youngest of six that I've been raised in Cincinnati for all the people who are reading and consuming your content who grew up as diehard Trojans fans. That's how I grew up as a Bearcats fan. So really, I was working in, for me, what for where I was in my career, my dream job. It was also the fact that when I moved back from the Browns, in February of 2019, it was the first time that my family lived together in the same city, all eight of us, since 1999. And so to turn around a few months later and blow all of that up was, was difficult. I've got uh, four nephews and a niece who I really enjoy having a relationship with who are all under you know five years and, and younger. Um, so there's a lot left behind. But at the end of the day, USC is USC. It's, a, it's to me, the preeminent athletics program in the country and it's a place it's one of the few places where you can consistently win national championships and to me i don't understand why you would be in the business of sports if you weren't in it to win championships and so the opportunity to go to a place where we can do that was by far the biggest thing for me well i I have to ask about maybe the most interesting comment mike had in that feature story about you was that he thought you might eventually become the youngest athletic director of a power five program Knowing that you are an ambitious guy, I have to imagine that that's a goal of yours. How much thought have you put into that and the potential timeline for pursuing opportunities like that? Well, I appreciate Mike saying that. It's a it's a very kind and moving compliment of me that I and, and doing it in a public forum is something that certainly I appreciate. But I don't get, I don't spend any time thinking about that. Um, I I believe that if you do great work, you add value make an impact and opportunities come your way and frankly that's been my experience so far in my career i'm on my fourth job and sixth job title in four and a half to five years and i've never uh, set out a strategy to get from one place to another but uh, those opportunities just happen my so my you know for me it's just i'm i'm focused on on what we have to do at usc we're really pleased with the progress and the impact that we've made in a few, a few short months and there isn't going to be anything anywhere that's going to detract from my focus on USC and being the best chief of staff that I can for Mike in the department. Well, you mentioned job title, chief of staff's a broad title, senior associate AD's a broad title. Uh, if, if someone were to ask you that, that doesn't know and said, well, what exactly do you do? How would you answer that question? Quite honestly, it's, a, it's an answer that I haven't quite figured out exactly how to articulate yet just because the role is so diverse. I think fundamentally the most important part of my job is arming Mike with the information and data that he needs to make decisions. I interface with all aspects of the department. Mike has a, an enormous responsibility as an athletic director. I think from the outside world, because there's so much of a focus on football, that the actual job of an athletic director is relatively misunderstood in terms of what they're actually tasked with doing. 
And uh, I, I believe that um, a key part of my responsibility is helping ensure that we're executing on all the things throughout the department that Mike wants to get accomplished while he's focusing on a lot of the big picture, big vision objectives of the department. So the reality is in any athletics department with 21 sports and a dozen or two dozen administrative units, there are thousands of decisions being made every single day. And I think my job is to make sure that we're all communicating on those decisions and things are being followed up on and executed. I believe if, if you asked Mike, he would say, Brandon's job is to make stuff happen. And so that's that's what I try to do. The role for me in, in being a chief of staff is all about a selfless commitment to the people and university that I serve. Well, a lot of stuff has certainly happened in these last few months, or I guess your first few months. But before I get to that, just to kind of close the book on your career path to this point, I'm really fascinated by the Cleveland Browns tenure, working there as a salary cap strategist. What was the most rewarding or challenging part of of managing that facet of the operation at the NFL level? Wow, I think it's a great question. For me, I would probably say going into something with zero experience or background in it, being in college athletics, I was raised in it. I was working for the University of Cincinnati basketball program since I was an eighth grader. So there was a lot of it that I had been exposed to that intuitively made sense to me. This the, the transition from going to a college athletics program to the salary cap analyst function was moving from a generalist to a very specialized skill set. So I didn't know the NFL's collective bargaining agreement. I didn't know how salary caps were calculated. I don't know the different nuances of the various aspects of different rules and how things are calculated. And so I had to learn all of that from nothing. And I had to do it all before my interview, and then I was learning on the job. So to me, I think the, the most rewarding part of it was getting in there, learning all of that, and then figuring out a way to add value and make an impact to the organization. And I think I was able to do that with some of the different uh, programs and salary cap tools that I created for the Browns that I know that, that continue to still be valuable to this day. You got also some experience in contract negotiation. Is there is there a good story? I know you can't use names specifically, but is there a good story of a negotiation you were involved in that was just kind of eye-opening to you about how that process works? Not really. There's just a lot to learning the nuances and the language of the business. It's sort of like, hey, you might have some ideas about how this works from the outside world or what you've seen in TV or movies, but there's a there's a different internal dialogue with, within the business of football, and just understanding how all of that comes together was eye-opening for me. I did have one experience. I was negotiating a contract, and each contract has uh, termination for cause language. If a coach does one of these things, then they can be terminated for cause, very standard employment contract language. Well, I had one agent who didn't like that there was a clause in there that required his coach to know the NCAA rules, which if you look at any coach employment contract or any employment contract for anyone who works in college athletics, knowing NCAA rules is an important part of the job to make sure you don't violate them. Yeah. So the agent calls me and says, my coach isn't signing this contract. I said, well, it, you know, every single coach we've ever had in the last 10 years has signed this contract with this exact same language. So I'm not really sure why your client would be any different. So he goes on to say that if I wanted to, I could walk into that coach's office, 
drop the NCAA rulebook on the table, ask him to turn to page 73, and if he doesn't know exactly what that rule means, we could fire him for costs. And I was like, okay, buddy, we're <laughs> never going to do that. What are you even talking about? So you, you get all kinds. I mean, I've had some unique experiences, that's for sure. Well, that's a good segue to my next topic. We're going to get into kind of the makeover of USC football really quickly, and then I want to get into the fan questions. But what what do fans not realize about the process of hiring assistant coaches and or head coaches or any coaches and how complicated it can get dealing with agents and, and just how you navigate through that and get to a point where this is the guy we want and closing that deal? Well, first and foremost, alignment is critical between the head coach and the administration. Our, our role in the process of hiring the assistant coaches was to help Clay and his staff however we possibly could in whatever role they needed us to play in the process. So whether that was making connections, building relationships, negotiating contracts, whatever whatever support Clay needed to build his staff is what we feel like we're here to do. Because again, for us, athletic department leadership is, is about servant leadership. And so we need to serve our, our coaches and our programs. So uh, the biggest thing was alignment with, with Clay and what he was trying to accomplish and just being able to support however we could and devising the right strategy to identify the coaches that we wanted to bring to USC and going out and making it happen. Going back to your expertise in data analysis, how did that come into play with the assistant coaching market and, and finding the right targets and the right fits for each spot? And I know you guys had an overall strategic plan of this is what we need. We need guys to do this, do this, do this. How did data come into play with that? I wouldn't overstate the role of data. I think in all of our decision-making processes, what we try to do is factor in all the information that's available to us. To me, data is information, whether it's qualitative or quantitative. It could be uh, background information that we receive from a friend in the business. It could be stats on performance. It could be a lot of things, but central to our decision-making philosophy is ensuring that we've collected all of the data and information that we can to in- inform those decisions. So I wouldn't overstate the role that data played. It's one facet that we consider in our process, but I think uh, Clay would, would tell you that he appreciated how at his disposal to evaluate the candidates because I think the one thing that maybe people don't really understand is when a job at USC opens up on the coaching staff, half the country wants to come here because we're USC. So we had no shortage of interest, and we want to make sure that we evaluate every candidate. So as we were made aware of different coaches that were interested in positions on our staff, we wanted to have a process to be able to, to evaluate them. Well, I do want to get to our reader questions, so I'm going to ask you a very general question, and I know that the fans would be happy if I spent the entire podcast just asking about this, but what is the overall assessment of the direction of USC football at this point, and I guess how you feel the the offseason changes, both public and behind the scenes? I've written about the support staff hires and everything else, how all that has impacted the trajectory as you guys see it for this program and its leadership? Yeah, we have not spent a lot of time looking backward only to use that historical knowledge to understand the steps that we need to take today. We're really pleased with the progress that we've made over the last several months. 
we went through a, a process of evaluating what we felt were some of the challenges within the program and trying to determine how much of that can we assess to systems and process? How much of our challenges can we uh, attribute to structure and operations? What can we attribute to personnel? What can we attribute to lack of resources? And what can we attribute to, in a lot of ways, just bad luck and circumstance? And so it any program can go through a process of identifying the opportunities for improvement. I think for us, the biggest thing was looking at what do we feel like we can improve with a high degree of probability of the successful result. We don't want to make changes and invest resources to be in the same place. So we we felt that our, our biggest opportunities for an immediate return on investment were with the overhaul of the defensive coaching staff, which we're really uh, proud of and think that we have as strong of a, a defensive coaching staff as there is in the country. Uh, retaining our, our offensive coaches was a, a critical priority. And then modernizing our football recruiting operation, which has been well documented over the last several months. But again, it wasn't just about, hey, we need to create more positions. We're not just going to create more positions to have more people in the building. If you're going to be in our building, if you're going to be part of the Trojan family, you have to add value be selflessly committed to the success of the team and make us better. And we've gone out and and acquired uh, a lot of talent that we think will do that. And the results are starting to show. Obviously, it's been well documented again, the success that we've had in recruiting in the 2021 class. And that's, to me, an indicator of the direction that we're going. Everybody in the country has taken notice of the work that we're doing. And we're proud of that. At the same time, there's not one person affiliated with the program who isn't eager to put the product on the field and have results in that way. Because at the end of the day, we all know that we don't win games in March, April, and May. We win them in the fall, and that's the expectation. And we're all excited to show what we can do. Is, is there one good story in terms of identifying the assistants you guys wanted to hire and landing them that, that you can share publicly? No, I probably won't get into that other than to say that Clay really did a, a phenomenal job Everybody who could be an asset was in recruiting and delivering really talented coaches from Todd and and Craig coming from Texas to Dante and and Vic and Sean as well. So uh, it was really a great collaborative effort. I think a testament to the new way of doing things that we have at USC. Well, I I know very early on one of Mike Bone's major statements from his opening press conference was that he wanted to listen first and get a uh, a sense for the pulse of the situation here. I know that you talk to a lot of boosters, a lot of donors, a lot of fans, whatever you want to call them. What was the main message you were getting from people and how has that been internalized and, and processed? That was a really unique part of it, Ryan, because at Cincinnati, growing up a diehard fan, I already had so much of the background information. But coming to USC, there was so much that I didn't know and I'm very self-aware and so is Mike that there's a lot that we don't know and it was incumbent upon us it was our responsibility to our constituents the people whom we represent to make sure that we took time to learn about our program and what our challenges were and uh, the the people who support us how they felt about a, a number of different aspects of the program because your perspective is never more pure than the day you show up because as soon as you do, you're, 
you start getting affected by biases and, and preconceptions. So that was a critical time for us to be able to have a really raw and authentic perspective to be able to evaluate the program. And we will say this until we're blue in the face, which is that, and, and Mike says this all the time, it's not Mike Bones' program. It's certainly not my program. It's not Clay's program or Andy's program. The program belongs to the fans. It belongs to our student-athletes and coaches. It belongs to our players of past and future. It belongs to the alumni and donors. And it's our job to represent them and make them proud. And there's no way that you can do that without engaging with them directly to understand what it is that will make them proud. And then to try to the best of your ability to act on those things that you believe with all of your experiences and your knowledge of the business and the athletics department operation uh, to make those things happen. So Mike and I don't, we, we obviously recognize that there are a number of, of high level supporters who uh, have stepped up in so many remarkable ways and we'll be forever indebted to them for that. But when, when I hear from a donor or I get a message on LinkedIn or somebody tweets at me, I'm not going to ask them how many years they've been a season ticket holder or what donor level they're at. That to me, that, that does not matter. I just enjoy engaging with fans and, uh, on whatever platform, anywhere, anytime, because it's, it, to me, it's an essential function of the role. Well, last question before the fans take over for the last uh, eight minutes or so. Did Obviously, there were some very strong opinions when you got here. You, you guys are well aware of that. What have you seen in the response now? Do you hear from the same people? Do they feel differently? Do they still feel the same? Have you have you won some people over that, that you thought were – opposed to everything how would you kind of generalize the evolving sentiments it gets better every day ryan the the positivity around the program is is, it's really strong we hear regularly from people who were very upset about the direction that we were going a few months ago who uh have said that, that that they believe in what we're doing and they're pleased with our progress again we know that we don't win games in March, April, and May. But the reality is, regardless of what our record was the year before, we're always going to want to win the offseason. We're always going to want to recruit the best talent. We're always going to want to have the best coaches. We're always going to want to make the moves and enact the strategies that are going to help us beat our peers. So regardless of of how we performed in the past, we're always going to need, we're always going to do what we need to do right now to perform at our best. And that's what this offseason has been about and getting ourselves ready for the 2020 season. Good deal. Well, I have to get you out for a meeting, so I'm going to get to the fan questions. Sharmac, one of our loyal subscribers, asks, what's USC's plan to navigate through these times financially? And specifically, we've seen other schools have to cut athletic programs, baseball or lacrosse, different schools. Is that a fear or a consideration at USC because of the revenue lost during this? Certainly, we're still assessing what the different revenue outcomes will be. 85 to 90% of our revenue is tied in some form or fashion to football. So as I said, the ability to have a football season is existential to the financial model of college athletics. But we have not and have no plans to discuss any reductions to to sports or anything in that nature. Our our approach will be that uh, in the event that there have to be any reductions to anything our student athlete components would be the last that would be affected 
Good deal. Uh, USC hired a new swim coach this week, which is interesting because obviously there's been no on-campus activity. You couldn't bring anybody in the interview. In general, what's the main priority you guys look for in assessing a head coach candidates, and, and how did this process unfold, given what I just mentioned? Definitely it was our first virtual head coaching search, and Mike and I have now partnered together on a number of different searches, and I've been able to assist him in that capacity several times. This one was, was definitely unique for us in conducting it all via Zoom. It required maybe more reference checks and different conversations with people to learn more about the different candidates because you can't get the same feel for them as you do when you bring them onto campus and you spend a day with them, introduce them to so many different people, watch how they interact. So it was, it was definitely a, a different process, but the tenants remain the same. Jeremy is uh, has had a remarkably successful career. He was three-time coach of the year in all three years that he was at Boise State. In two years at Northwestern, he, he had some of the best seasons that they've had in a very long time their recruiting was outperforming what it had done previously when he was an assistant at usc we were pulling in some of our absolute greatest recruiting classes that we had had but fundamentally jeremy his values and his ability to relate to the modern student athlete is consistent with mike's values for how we lead an athletics program which is a student athlete centric leadership model and jeremy impressed us from from start to finish in that regard when we introduced him to the swim student athletes via Zoom earlier this week, he the, the response that he received from them was really amazing. You could see all of their faces light up. We think that we've we've acquired one of the bright young up and coming coaches in the in the college swimming profession, and uh, we are we're super excited to see what he can do because our swim program has quite a heritage. When it comes to championships and, and Olympics, and that's our vision for the program. Good answer. Roar Twenty Five harkens back to the Pete Carroll days when there were, you know, a lot of famous celebrities on the sideline at practice, and a lot of alums back around the program. Is that vibe anything that you all have talked about trying to recreate moving forward, or is that on the on the radar at all? Absolutely. And if you recall, as our, our plans for spring football and the spring game were unfolding, we wanted it to be as open and accessible to everyone as it possibly could be. So the Los Angeles marketplace is one of our great inherited advantages as a college athletics program. And as the game changes and name image likeness involves in whatever aspect it is, we want to leverage our position in the largest market in the world for college sports to the extent that we can. And so if that's the, the shape that it takes, then that's something that we're going to be open to for sure and certainly embrace if we can get it done. He also asked, is, is there any plan to upgrade any of the football facilities? It just, you know, it's an ever, ever ongoing arms race with these crazy facilities that appeal to recruits. Uh, is, is that a game that USC is going to get into, kind of the showy side of things? Just given where we are right now, Ryan, with everything going on in the world and, and on campus, uh, those aren't really things that we've discussed at, at this point. Um, certainly we're aware of things that are going on in other programs and how, how we can compete. I think I would also add, though, that philosophically we're going to look for every competitive advantage within the parameters of what's permissible that uh, are, are more efficient in terms of, of dollars that really 
help us get better before we start looking at those things. But that that's that's a part of the, the game of big-time college athletics, and we're always mindful of that. Good deal. I'm going to squeeze two last ones in here. We're going to let you go. Uh, this is an easy one. Jack asked, what do you think the odds are that USC opens the 2020 season against Alabama? I hesitate to put odds on anything in this climate, again, an unprecedented time. As Mike tweeted out last week, we have every intention of playing that game. There's nobody on at USC talking about not playing that game. And uh, ideally, we're going we're gonna to play a full season and, and play on time in the fall. And we're going to continue to hang on to that aspiration until we're told otherwise. And then lastly, Alex3000 changes gears and says that USC hoops basketball is often mentioned as a sleeping giant. You come from a school that was really successful basketball-wise in Cincinnati. What are the expectations for USC basketball moving forward? And, and what do you guys bring to the table having been part of proud program there at Cincy? Yeah, I mean, the, the background that, that I come from and was raised in, he's exactly right. Uh, Cincinnati had had been to nine straight NCAA tournaments coming into this year. The, they would have made their 10th consecutive NCAA tournament uh, had it not been for the outbreak of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I, I would say this. I, I believe that every athletic director leads through the lens of their experiences and it not even addressing previous athletic directors at USC, but Mike was a three-sport athlete in high school. He won state championships in multiple sports. He was recruited to potentially play three sports in college, ended up playing two at Kansas. So uh, he just has a, a different approach when it comes to how we embrace all 21 of our sports. But certainly football is, is a, a, a key part and the driving force in the USC athletics enterprise. But we're going to fuel our men's basketball program and our women's basketball program. And I, I think for me, one of the great memories that I had from my short time that I was able to be in Los Angeles before all of this happened was that game against UCLA. Yeah. And that's our vision for where the basketball program is going, that kind of environment, that kind of support that we're putting behind the program. Really one of the favorite things that I've done since I got to USC has been spending time with Coach Enfield, getting to know him, figuring out different ways that we can support the program, whether it's recruiting, scheduling, uh, marketing, uh, engagement with former players. And, and I believe that we've made great progress on that front in just the latter half of last season. And uh, we're, we're excited about the direction that, that the program continues to move in. We've had a really, really one of the winningest stretches uh, in our basketball program's history in the last few years under Andy's leadership. And I think fundamentally, our approach, Ryan, is if we want to perform at championship levels, our coaches need championship support from their administration, and that's what we intend to provide. Great stuff. Well, your, your schedule never slows down. You have a meeting to get to. Thank you so much for all the time you gave us and to our listeners. You got it, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And, and, and before I go, I just want to say I really appreciate the work that you put in in covering our program and telling the story of our student has an important role to play and and what you do to educate our fans and elevate the dialogue and constantly keeping them informed i think is a really great thing for our fans and as someone who loves great things for our fans i just want to say that uh, i greatly appreciate the work that you do i think you're a pro and uh, i really appreciate you having me on well thanks a lot brandon that means a lot appreciate it all right our next guest you know him well USC sophomore cornerback Chris Steele, an instant starter last season for the Trojans, 
expecting big things next year. Chris, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Well, I, I talked to Keaton Slovis last week, and I had to start the same question with him just about what these months have been like. And as it drags on longer and longer, how are you just kind of processing this strange time and not being around your teammates? I mean, when it first started, it was um, it was pretty difficult. I mean, you know, just uh, it's, it's hard to really have to wake up every day and really have to be self-motivated and, and come up with your, own, with your own workout plan and everything. So I really just, you know, I tried to, to kind of keep the same schedule, so I've still been waking up at like 6.30, 7 o'clock every day just to, you know, make sure, uh, make sure I get my day started early. And I really just got back to my old workout regimen from high school. I mean, I've been getting back to my old trainers, uh, Coach, uh, Coach Vic with the DB Lab and Coach uh, Cam, that's my, my strength and conditioning guy. They've, been, they've both been doing a really good job of, you know, just keeping me on top of my game and, uh, you know, putting on some, some good weight on me and everything, some, some, uh, some adding some strength to me and stuff. So it's been, it's been real good. Well, that's where I wanted to go next with this. I think your father posted a picture that really showed some impressive gains and made it clear that you've been making the most of this quarantine despite the obstacles. What has been your routine? How hard have you been going after it? And what were the major areas that you wanted to, to build up your body? Man, so, I mean, I'm going to start off with the major areas that I wanted to touch on, you know. Um, I've, I've always had, like, very high expectations for myself. I mean, I had a I had a decent freshman season. You know, I, it definitely wasn't what I wanted my freshman season to be. But you know, there was also a lot that was going on uh, prior to me coming to SC. You know, with the whole transfer yep. situation, I I didn't really have the time. Just I was just too caught up in making the right decision after leaving Florida that I didn't really give myself opportunity to really prepare for uh, coming into SC. So I was really just sitting around for two months. So season came around I didn't get the results I expected and it was like I can't blame anybody but myself and once I realized that it was like all right well I had to sit down and really make a plan and think about what I wanted to do and then I mean it kind of to be honest this whole pandemic has kind of made it easier for me to accomplish my goals because I'm able to work on my specific needs if that makes sense yeah so I mean you know there was a few things that I wanted to work on I played the season that it's crazy to say it because I played the host. I played my high school. I played my senior year at Bosco at 185. So I played my whole freshman season from 182 to 185. I don't think I was any bigger than 185. Wow. And I ended the season at like 183. So I was like, you know, that's definitely the main thing I need to. I want to get back right. I think it was just because, um, you know, I was I wasn't eating the right food. You know, I really wasn't. I just wasn't really, I wasn't eating the right food. I wasn't, um, you know, really putting the effort to take care of my body. So, um, you know, that was really the main focus for me. And then, you know, obviously my technique, just working on uh, on the little things, being more fluid in and out of my brakes and stuff. So, like I said, Coach Vic and Coach Cam have been doing a great job of uh, in both of those things. So. So, so what have the gains been? What's your weight at now, and in what ways do you feel you've really been able to better prepare your body for the season? Um, so right now, my body's been my body weight's kind of been fluctuating from like one one ninety three to one ninety. The heaviest I've been was one ninety six. So 
I mean, I've gained <laughs> roughly like 13 pounds almost, and uh, my body feels real good. I feel more explosive than ever. So give me give me an example of what a, a normal week is. What, what is your routine? How many hours are you putting in? And what are some of the unique things maybe you've had to do during this pandemic to, to get that work in without having the facility access? Oh, I mean, you know, obviously resources are very limited right now just because nothing's really open. So uh, like I said, I've been having to go back to things I used to do in high school, you know, just even calling up some of the guys and doing one-on-ones. That's some of the things, that's some of the things I've been doing. Like, uh, so every day, basically, I work out every day. So I wake up, make sure I get some food in my stomach. Um, summer school just started, so right now I'm doing classes in the morning. And then I usually work out at around um, 12 o'clock uh, with, with Coach Cam, get some speed work in and some strength work in. And then, you know, I do that. I do that like four times a week. And the other days, I'm doing one-on-ones in Long Beach with, uh, you know, Biggie's always out there. Um, Don Ross, everybody knows who that is. Yeah. Victor Bowden, there's, you know, Matt Corral from Ole Miss is out, out there throwing CJ Stroud. Or CJ Stroud that uh, enrolled into Ohio State. So there's a lot of talent out there. Uh, Amara was out there yesterday, so there's been a lot of talent. I've really just been able – I mean, going against right now, I've, I've really just – taking advantage of having everybody, all the talent in the area again, you know? Um, just going against all these different dudes. Like, a few weeks ago, I had uh, my former high school teammate, Rob Bynum out there, plays at UW. So just going, being able to be around these guys and um, kind of get a feel for their game and just get better with each other, I mean, it's been real fun. So that's really been the, I'd say that's, that's really been the thing that's helped my game the most throughout this whole thing, just you know, being around so much talent and in the competition. Did you match up with Ross in any one-on-ones? Uh, yeah, I did. I have a few times, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I imagine it goes, it goes back and forth a little bit there. Oh, yeah. You know, John Ross is real good. I, I, I got him, I think I probably got him about maybe two out of, probably two out of six times. I, I'd say two out of six times. Okay. So I'm holding my own, but even when he does get me, it's really, you know, just him having strong hands. He's a lead guy, so I mean, the little techniques that he knows how to use, but I'm always in good position, so that's all that matters for me right now. Yeah. You know, just working, making sure I'm in the right position with things. Definitely. Well, let's look ahead to the 2020 season, whenever it happens, however it happens. What is your expectation personally for the next step in your evolution, your game? Man, you know, uh, I'm expecting very big things out of myself. Um, definitely think after the season that uh, I'll be, you know, definitely and <laughs> I'll definitely be a contender for one of the top uh, corners in college football. And uh, you know, I say that with confidence, just because soon enough, preparation is going to meet opportunity. And I've been working my tail off every single day. Uh, you know, just trying to stay in the playbook making sure I'm fixing all the little flaws in my game. So, I mean, I'm expecting myself to have a really big season, uh, a couple of interceptions, make some uh, few hits on the quarterback when I'm lifting off the edge, you know, just things like that. So, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Well, I want to get into this new defense with you and, and Tyler Lando and Dante and everything, but, but first, just kind of going back to your freshman season, you said it yourself that you felt it was good but not 
up to your standards or what you wanted it to be. What was what was the proudest moment for you, and what was the the moment you look back on the most and go, man, I wish I, I had that play, or, or the one the one that sticks in your mind the most. Um, my proudest moment would probably be. Dang, that's a good one. Uh, my proudest moment would probably have to be when I started against Utah. I can't even name a specific play, but sure. that was my first start. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I didn't give up a catch that game, had a couple tackles, so I just felt like I, it was a good way for me to – or it was a, a good start of, uh, of my story at USC. And then my worst moment – I don't like giving up touchdowns. I think I gave up three this year, maybe. So all three of those, <laughs> I need to I need six picks to in order to erase those. <laughs> do, do you go back and, and and watch those just as motivation or? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I was just on the phone with uh, with Dante earlier, with, uh, Coach Dante earlier, and I was telling him, you know, just the little things that he's taught me already. Like I'll go back and watch the film from last year. I'll be like, dang, man, like, for example, I'll use the Notre Dame game, for example. I mean, just game-changing plays that I could have had that, you know, I just, I was one step off or something. Like, you know, I was telling him the the post that I broke up on Chase Claypool. He, uh, you know, he stemmed me outside to break inside. All receivers do that. And I knew it was coming. But in the moment of the game, it was like, especially it's a big game. I'm a freshman playing at North, at Notre Dame at that. So it was like the, my technique would my technique would be a little off and thing and stuff like that. So you know, I if I would have put myself in a better position, I could have kicked that ball off. Like you know, just things like that. So I mean, I think that's really been a, another good thing about this. So I really had the time to go back and really rewatch my film from last year and be able to pick out the little things that I correct and uh, you know. One thing about the teams that we play is, you know, for the most part, there's been a few changes with the offensive coordinators and stuff in the Pac-12, but um, for the our, our opponents in general, but for the most part, everything's going to stay the same. So, you know, players are going to stay the same. Uh, you know, even the guys that did leave, if they had the same receiver coach, they're all being taught the same thing. So, I mean, just trying to – I've been taking the time to really – kind of uh, pick out little things from dudes I'll be going against and stuff, so it's been cool. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, and I'm going to get to Dante uh, even more in a second, but while we're on the topic, is there one consistent theme to things that he's noticed with you and when he goes over those highlights from last year and says, if you, if you did this, if you did that, is there one thing that keeps coming up that you know you have to fix or work on? No, yeah, no doubt. I mean, Dante's biggest emphasis for me has always been uh, what has been um, just me – so I have a I have a problem of I'm really patient at the line, but then once I I'm supposed to kick at a at a forty like at a forty five like at a high forty five degree angle to be able to stay on top of the receiver, you know. So when I punch, I'm on top, but I have a bad habit of punching and then opening up the gate mm-hmm. and allowing receivers to get a free release. So that's been his biggest thing, just making sure I'm able to stay square as possible as long as possible, and uh, you know, so I just been. There's things like that, you know, so, uh, and Dante is just the type of guy, like, even if I have, like, I, I sent him some clips of me, uh, of me guarding Victor Bowden, I mean, dude plays for Buffalo Bills now, I'd say he's a pretty good guy, he's been in the league for three years, so, yep. um, sent Dante a couple of videos of me 
<laughs> having a couple pass breakups. I think I had a pick on him, like a couple pass breakups. And then Dante called me and, like, was correct. Like, he was, he didn't even tell me I did good. It was just, you know, you could have done, you, you won, but you won and you didn't even do this right, this right, or this right. So it's like, I love, I love, I love that about him, though, because, you know, he really pushes me to my limits every day, and that's, that's what I need. So, I mean, yeah. I, I you, don't really come, you don't really come across a guy like Dante too much. That's, all, that's awesome. One more question looking back on last year, and this is not a leading question to try and get some soundbite. I'm, I'm truly interested in the d- dynamics there was a three-way split at cornerback last year. Yourself, Elijah Griffin, Isaac Taylor-Stewart. Obviously, Isaac is working back from injury. But you're all highly competitive guys. You you all probably believe that you were the best cornerback on the team. How tough was it to manage that three-way split for all of you and just know that you weren't going to be out there for every snap because they were, they were balancing things out that way? Oh, man. I mean, you know, coming from a, uh, coming from a school like Bosco, I mean, I was I was already used to competition, so when I made a decision on what school I was going to go to, I never took into consideration who they had because at the end of the day, I know what type of player I am and I know the work ethic that I have. So in my mindset, it's just always been that um, regardless, people, regardless of what people think about me, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna work to prove them to prove them otherwise. I'm not gonna give anybody an option but to play. And that's, uh, that's always been my mindset. So, you know, when I made the transfer to SB, I had Greg. Actually, it was worse at first. I had Greg in front of me, uh, Dominic Davis, um, Elijah, Isaac, and then um, Max was playing corner, too. He was there over the spring. So I have five guys ahead of me. Um, that few people changed position. Just left, a, left it with me, Dom, OG, and Isaac. So I was uh, fourth string, and you know I just went out and practiced and really just tried to grind every day. Uh, met with you know the old defensive staff a few times just to go over the playbook and stuff. And, you know I just worked, and um, you know I ended up eventually starting, but it was really hard. It was just very stressful for me just because I've always been used to you know being on the field. You know, I've always, even in high school, I was the guy that when we would play against the Brooke McCoys, the Kyle Ford, Chris, you're on him the whole game, just do your thing. So when I got to USC, it was like, dang, I'm not used to, I'm not really used to, you know, having to split time and stuff. Yeah. But um, like I said, you know, being at Bosco, there's a lot of competition. So it was, it was nothing new to me. I just had to fight through a little bit of adversity. But, I mean, I can't really speak for OZ and Isaac, but, Personally, for me, it was real tough just because I don't like sitting on the sideline. So, I mean, it was it was real difficult. But at the end of the day, you know, um, I still understood that I was young. There was probably a few things I didn't know at the time. So, you know, coaches probably weren't comfortable with me and stuff. So it took me a minute to really understand, like, why aren't I playing? I'm doing really good in practice. I know the defense. Like, why aren't I playing? But it was just a matter of time. So, I mean, yeah. that's really how my process was. But... No, that's, that's a great answer. Well, speaking of being competitive, we only got one spring practice to watch. But, man, you were going at it with those receivers. You were you were jawing back at them. Every rep mattered. Every rep was competitive. Kind of take me through just that intensity you brought to that one spring practice and what that reflects in the broader sense about the way you're approaching things. Man, so, you know, like I said last year, I 
wasn't happy with my performance. Um, it was okay, but I wasn't happy with it. So, you know, I made my promise to the, I made a promise to myself at the end of the season that, you know, I was going to make every play matter, you know. Whether the ball was coming to my side or not, I was going to make sure that the receiver, the offensive coordinator, the NFL scouts watching, I wanted to make sure that they felt me. You know, that's in practice and everything, you know. And, uh, I mean, competition drives the champion. So, I mean, I feel like if I bring that, I didn't really come with that same energy last year. So, I feel like me coming out with that energy is only going to, you know, it's going to transfer the energy to the receivers, you know, and they're going to come out and try to give me their best work. So, I mean, that's really why, you know, I came out with so much energy and <laughs> I'm real competitive, so it gets it, it gets crazy sometimes. I'm, real, I'm a competitor. I love to compete. No, I mean, that much was clear, and especially it was fun to watch you and Brew McCoy go against each other. You guys are friends. Like You guys competed in high school, but you're friends. What's that dynamic when you're out on the field going back at each other intensely in one-on-ones and then practice ends, you're in the locker room. Does it go right back to uh, casual, cool, or you guys still kind of uh, hot from practice over that? Man, so uh, Brew is, uh, you know, definitely one of my best friends on the team, if not my best friend. I mean, you know, me and Brew have a lot of similar. Uh, me and Brew relate to, to each other in ways that a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't really understand, yeah. so. He, so we, we know, you know, he knows that at the end of the day, it's all love. Me and Brew actually weren't even, we, me and Brew were always cool, but like in high school, <laughs> I, I don't know if he felt the same way, but with me, it was like, uh, I can't talk to him. I'm trying to take his head off when we play against him. <laughs> I got to play this in two times, and I'm make sure he doesn't get to play the second time. <laughs> that was my mindset. But, you know, once I got to really be around him, he's my teammate now. I mean, I love that dude like a brother, man, so. Uh, it's always it's always real competitive in practice, but at the end of the day, you know, we'll still walk back to our dorms with each other and talk about, you know, things we could have done to make each other better. So While we're on the subject with him, I, I talked to him last week at length about his his comeback, his motivation for this year. But but give us your perspective on what you've seen from him, even leading up to spring ball. Like, what are USC fans going to see from Brew McCoy next season? Um, I mean, you know, Brew is, uh, like he's he's a, he he works he definitely works he's a workhorse and you know, that's definitely something that I admire about the dude uh, you know leading up to, to spring ball those I want to say like maybe a month leading for that whole month leading up to that first week of spring ball he was, I think it was Gary Bryant Kyle Brew and Josh Jack and Joshua Jackson they were the only receivers that would go out well I guess that's most of them really but they would uh they would go out and do uh, routes on air with um, with Peden, and you know I was always I would, I would always make sure I went out there to do release with Brew and stuff, and uh, you know just for me to go out there and notice I know I that's I notice little things like that you know uh, he doesn't have to we just got done lifting he doesn't have to go throw his cleats on and walk to the field to to do routes on air but and kind of just showed me where his head is at yeah. and you know that's the people that you want to surround yourself with so, I mean. He's definitely been working. Like I said, me and him are real close, so I've still uh, got the chance to, to see him a couple times over this pandemic. And, uh, you know, we've caught up a little bit. You know, I know he's on a really good work regimen, a workout routine, too. So uh, I think Trojan fans can expect a lot out of him. They'll see a lot of the, uh, the modern-day Brew McCoy they saw a few years ago. 
Nice. Well, I, I have to get to Dante. I know you've you've talked a lot about him. I mean, you're the kind of the go-to guy for for Dante Williams questions because you guys are close. You almost went to Oregon because of him. Let's go. Let's go back in time first before we get to the present. How did that relationship with him become so strong for you? Um. So my relationship with Dante, it was. Uh, it, I mean, everybody knows that uh, we have a really great relationship. Um, when I was actually in eighth grade, we had a uh, like a little seven on seventeen. Like every Trinity League team had like a feeder seven on seventeen, and we would all play against each other. And um, so I was playing for Boston, and uh, we used to practice like during their spring ball. We would practice and like while they were on the field, we would lift. It was like all the eighth graders. So uh, Dante walked in one day, and he was like, "Hey, Coach Negro, who's this kid right here talking about me?" And then he was like, "Yeah, he's only in eighth grade. He'll be here next year." And then I was, he was at San Jose State at the time, and I didn't even really know who do was. And then freshman year, <laughs> he offered me Arizona, and I was like. Oh, this is the same guy. Or uh, no, this is my sophomore year. He offered me Arizona, but I was talking to him my freshman year a little bit, and then um, sophomore year he offered me Arizona, and it was like the relationship just went off from there. He offered me at Nebraska, um, <laughs> almost took a visit out there, and I was always his guy. So I mean, you know, he plays boundary and field corner, so I was always his. I was always his ideal boundary corner. So it's been cool for me to. And he's always been my ideal coach. So. I mean, it's cool for us to actually be together now. Whenever I, I ask guys or ask recruits or I ask current players, like what what makes him so effective at building relationships and recruiting, that they all say he's just he's he's honest, he's uh, he's straightforward, and he's genuine. Is what's the biggest thing for you that that kind of helped foster that relationship along? Uh, for me, I say. It's a little bit more personal with me and Dante just because uh, he's somebody that that knows a lot about me. You know, he's somebody that I talk to on a regular basis about you know, just problems that I'm going, that I'll be going through. Um, so, I mean, our relationship is just real different, and I think it's just you know what basically what everybody else is saying. Yeah. Dante, it's a little bit different with us because I feel like it's a little, it might be a little bit more personal. I don't really know his relationship with too many other dudes, but I know it's real personal with us. But Dante is the type of dude that, like, he 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 won't he he won't ever tell you cares or something. But you but you can see it you know, like you can see it through his actions. He really takes his time to get to know his recruits, his players. You know what they've been through their story because you know you have to approach everybody different. And uh, Dante really takes his time to you know read people and figure people out. And he just knows how to how to, he really knows how to talk to people. You know. Everybody needs to be talked to a different way. He knows how to, uh, you know, how to approach everybody. So he's really relatable too. You know, he's a, uh, he's like a. Dante got a lot of swag, man. So <laughs> he, he think he's still, he think he's still kind of young. He, he's getting old, but <laughs> he thinks he's still kind of young. So he relates to us a lot. So nice. that people love about him. So I, I got to ask then. So so you're coming off the floor of the transfer. You briefly commit to Oregon, then back off it. A lot of factors going to play, family factors. You choose USC. What was that call like to Dante at that time when you tell him, actually, I'm not coming to Oregon. I'm going to USC. I broke – Dante tells me all the time that I'm the only recruit who's ever broken his heart twice. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was supposed to – I was supposed to go there by the high school. And then 
in USC, and then I was going to commit to him. I ended up committing to Florida. I went to Florida, was supposed to go to Oregon, and it ended up at SC. So, um, I mean, I think that I, I think that that says a lot about our relationship. So, I mean, you know, uh, he understand he understood that it was never personal with me and him. So, you know, he never helped. He, you know, he never helped the grudges about it or anything. You know, he still let me know that if I ever needed anything, he, he was going to be there for me. And you know, he held true with that. So, uh, it was it was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever, I've ever had to do in my life though I mean uh, my, I mean, my mom my mom could tell, could tell anybody better than I can but the night before signing day before I left this is was this was in high school the night before signing day I was on yeah my mom took a took a ride in the car and I was just I was in the car crying like mom I don't know how I could tell Dante I'm not playing for him like wow. I don't know. I like. I just. I couldn't. Well, I'm. I'm. I'm a, my mom's right here. Mom, do you remember that? Yeah. yeah like <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah. It was bad. Like it was definitely one of the hardest things for me to do, just because you know when you're going through the recruiting process. What I realize is a lot of a lot of coaches have on. It's like a mask, you know. They put on this this face. It's not really who they are. And Dante was really like. One of the one of the only coaches recruiting me that you know kept it kept it solid the whole way through for three really four years for four years he he kept it solid so I mean it was it was real difficult for me to do it but I mean he understood and it ended up working out so I'm good. Well, well that's that's a great story then flash forward and what is your reaction when you first start hearing the buzz. That USC is going to hire away Dante Williams, and it happens. And then whenever you first hear it from him, are you just like, I can't believe this? I mean, is, is it shock, surprise? What was the feeling? Man, you know, it was like it was it was like a really good feeling for me. I mean, it was it was kind of difficult for me. I was kind of I felt like I was in a tough situation when Coach Burns got fired at first, just because you know I committed to Florida. I committed to Coach Warren, who ended up going to Georgia right after I signed. Yep. So I was dealing with a new DB coach there, and then came to SC. My DB coach got fired. It's like I've been in high, I've been in college for two semesters, and I've been and I've had three different coaches already. Like, yep. What, what is going on? And I kind of went through a similar situation at Bosco, and it made it kind of tough for me there as well. So I was, I hope I don't have to really go through this again. But then. Dante came and it was like, all right, well, there it goes. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a very good situation right now. I'm sure we was brought in the best dude. If it wasn't Dante, the best dude after Dante. But I mean, we ended up getting the best guy, so it's, it, it all ended up working out. Good stuff. Well, just a few more for you. We really appreciate your time. Um, I want to ask you about this defensive staff as a whole. Todd Orlando and just the whole group and the energy, the the juice they're bringing to the operation. What's the biggest difference? And, and you haven't even really seen it in practice, obviously beyond that one session. But just leading up to spring ball, just in these Zoom meetings, what's the biggest difference that you feel coming from that staff? Man, the biggest difference that I would say is just the you know just the energy that they bring. I mean, uh, you know, Coach Coach Orlando first day. First day we met him, he came out to uh, he came out to workouts and broke broke the huddle up and everything, you know. And then 
one one day he just stood up during uh, the team meeting and was like, you know, everybody stand up. We're going to start making this a, a tradition. He made everybody stand up and we had to, you know, show our brothers some love. So that was definitely something that kind of stood out to me just because uh, I think a lot of people see see the coach Orlando that, that's all, you know, hyper and stuff. Always, you know, he, he definitely gets everybody going. But then they don't see behind the scenes how you know how much he really he really wants to he really wants to bring everybody together on the team. So I think that was a big problem we had last year. Uh, the cohesion on the team was like not the best. So he's trying to get rid of you know all the little all the little clicks or whatever you want to call it. You know he's definitely trying to bring the whole team together as one, and that's ultimately just going to win championships. So that's the that's, that's the biggest thing that I've that I've noticed. It's, I wouldn't even say it's the it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely the energy and just you know the the uh, like the companionship that he's trying to bring here. That's awesome. Well, I, obviously, I, I know you're not going to give any specifics. I'm not asking you to, but kind of tell me how that manifests when that cohesion isn't there. When there are those clicks, how does that impact things on the field? Is there a good example, even generally, without mentioning names, just just how things kind of uh, are impacted by that? It turns into it turns into to miscommunication, little arguments that you know that you that you don't think mess you up, but you know what? Until it, until it messes you up, uh, you know I feel like in order for a team to really thrive, and I, you know I know high school, I think that this is what really made some of the teams that I played with at Bosco so special, especially the year we had Wyatt Davis on the team. Um, you know, everybody on the team was cool. Uh, our quarterback talked to defensive players. <laughs> our linebacker would talk to off, our D lineman would be cool. Offensive lineman, like you know, it was everybody on the team genuinely cared about each other. And I just feel like uh, last year everybody cared about each other, but it was like to a certain extent. So I feel like once I feel like we're definitely getting to the point now to where everybody's starting to realize how much how important it is for us to be able to lean on each other, you know? And when you have a team that feels like they can't lean on, on everybody, like on everybody, if you feel like you can't lean on all your brothers, it is going to mess you up in the game. It's going to it's going to cause you to, to play more hesitant because you don't know if your help's going to be where it's at or, you know, just little things, or you don't, you don't yeah. know if your receiver is going to run the right route or just little things like that, you know, it's definitely things that can mess you up. You won't even notice it, but, I mean, it's definitely a big, a big problem, and I mean, I'm glad Coach Orlando came in and is trying to make a change with that. So nice. Well, let me ask you about your position group. Is there anything different that this defense does with the cornerbacks that is going to impact the the way you play or, or or the responsibilities you have in the game? So um, Dante plays boundary and field, and uh, like I said earlier, I'm I'm his boundary guy, so. Um, it'll be we have a few dudes that are going to be playing the boundary position, and then uh, we have a, uh, OG and OG and Dorian have been on the at, OG Dorian and Adonis have been playing field, and it's been me, Jaden, and um, Isaac playing boundary. So I mean, we've been doing it like that. We've been doing it like that. So uh, I mean, it's been it's been real cool, but just the defense that we have in now. Um, it's really going to allow us to, to really make plays in the ball. I mean, I'll be I'll be able to play a lot more physical. A lot of my my style of football 
So, uh, I mean, I'm really excited about it. Kind of run a similar defense to what I ran at Boston. So, I mean, a lot of a lot of big hits and interceptions out of the out of the secondary this year. I'm calling it. Nice, nice. Okay, well, these are the last two questions. I promise. USC's been racking up commitments. And they got one from Julian Simon a couple weeks ago. And he talked to me about how close you guys are and how it kind of developed in seven-on-seven as opponents. And, and he sees you as like a big brother. I, I kind of want to get your perspective on what that relationship is with him and how involved were you in his recruitment to get him here? I mean, you know, every recruit, with, with, every, with every class, especially now, I mean, but it's been like that ever since I was a recruit. Or ever since I was a recruit, you know, when I was a senior, I was trying to, find the best sophomores and, and juniors to try to come. I was trying to recruit DJ to whatever school I was going to. So, I mean, there's always a few guys that I feel like I could connect with. And, you know, um, right now, I feel like SC has the – SC's a historical program. I mean, you know, we have – there's like just – we have so much to offer. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people don't really understand that. So I feel like it's – it's, it's part of my job as a Trojan and as a player, as a player here, you know, to kind of try to help lead this program or get this program back to where it used to be. So I do build these relationships with, with different players. And, I mean, <laughs> Julian, I played against that dude his freshman year, which wasn't really too long. Yeah, he's young. I played against <laughs> him his freshman year. So, yeah, my last my last year, 7-on-7, seven seven, I was playing against him. He was playing receiver and I was like who is this big old dude with a beard and he was like I'm a freshman I was like bro you are not a freshman and you know me and him ended up building me and him ended up building a pretty solid relationship and you know I let him know from off the rip you know I'm here for you if you ever need anybody to talk to just because I've been through the recruiting process twice I know I know how hard it could be I know how stressful it could be um, when you have so many so many different people uh, you know, pulling you different ways. So um, he's definitely somebody that I that I tried to build a relationship with. And, you know, I talk to him all the time. I play the game with him. And, you know, I just want – I feel like it's very important. Like, it all comes back to the whole brotherhood thing. You know, you want everybody to be comfortable when they come in. So yeah. especially with the guys on the defense side of the ball, um, I try to make sure I always introduce myself. And, you know, he just happens to be one of the guys that I had already built a relationship with prior to him committing. And, you know, he asked me a lot of questions to ask recruitment about USC being the right fit for him and stuff. And, you know, I told him that as a, I wanted him to look at look at me as a big brother. And, you know, I was I was never going to steer him in the wrong direction. And I told him the the pros about him coming to SC. And I told him that he, I know he liked Stanford. I told him the pros about Stanford, you know. I always kept it real with him. So, I mean, I think, you know, that's really, our relationship is good, though. I kind of got off. But me yeah. and Julian have a great relationship. No, that's, that's great. Well, I'll close with this. And obviously, when you were coming out of high school, it was kind of a down point for the USC program. They were wrapping up that five-win season, five-and-seven season. I know the direction of the program was probably a factor in you going elsewhere. How do you feel about the overall direction of USC football now and what you're seeing with the recruiting class, what you're seeing with the new defensive staff, and just overall direction of this program? Man, I'm really excited about it just because, I mean, like I said, uh, USC is such a historical program. It, it, it would have been such a shame for, for it to keep going. The, uh, if we would have continued to have seasons how we had in the past, then, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not happy with our season last year. But, 
I mean, you know, it's a progression, and we're only going to keep getting better. So I'm real excited about it. I think there's a, you know, we have a opportunity to win some big games. So, I mean, it should be, should be really exciting. Awesome stuff, Chris. That was tremendous. Thanks so much for all the time, and I know the fans really appreciate hearing from you. Oh, yeah, no problem. I appreciate you. Fight on. All right, that is our show. Thank you to Brandon Sosna. Thank you to Chris Steele. Thank you for everyone who is listening and supporting this podcast. This has not been a great time overall for any of us going through this pandemic and quarantine and not having sports. But the one thing this extra time has allowed is for us in this podcast to get some really great guests to go in depth that maybe we wouldn't get otherwise when everyone's busier with things and and doesn't have as much free time on their hands. So we really thank the USC Media Relations staff for making these guys available and giving us this opportunity to to have this in-depth interview with Chris Steele, to sit down with Brandon Sosna and, and get some perspective on the athletic department. And I hope you enjoyed both those interviews. We will continue to have more fun guests each week moving forward. I'm really enjoying the momentum of this podcast. I want to keep it going. But that goes for the whole site as well. There's great things happening at TrojanSports.com. We want you to be a part of it, and you can do it very easily with a free trial, promo code USC2020, USC2020 at sign up. No strings attached, no hidden language. It's a free trial. Quit whenever you want, but it'll get you access until September 5th, and at some point along the way, you can make a decision if you like what you see and you want to stay on board. With that, we will see you next week, and thank you, as always, for listening to Trojan Talk.